My name is Boyd Varty. I think of myself as an artist of experience. My passion is to create transformational experiences for myself and others as a way to explore what it means to truly live. My central exploration is to live on what I would call the track of your life. To me, this is to live courageously towards the discovery of what you are called to and to what life asks of you. So much of how I live has been informed by my passion as an animal tracker. I'm following the trail of my own life and reporting back. This show is a daily broadcast from a treehouse on the Londolozi Game Reserve in the wild eastern part of South Africa. Londolozi is a 14,000 hectare wilderness reserve adjacent to the Kruger National Park. The land is home to lion, leopard, rhino, elephant and buffalo, as well as a variety of other animals. I am your host, Boyd Varty. My goal is to spend 40 days and 40 nights alone in the wilderness to explore the archetype of the mystic in nature and hone my skills as a tracker. These are my daily stories. Today is a big preparation day. I'd like to kick it off with a quote. Personal development without love becomes self-indulgent. Personal development without love becomes self-indulgent. At Londolozi, I am preparing for departure in a few days. And that quote is certainly running through my mind today. Late last night, just as the sun was setting, I came across a pride of about 17 lions that were lying up on the northern end of the reserve's runway. It was a beautiful sight, the sun setting behind them. And as a tracker, it made me extremely excited because I realized that those lions are going to move during the night and they're going to lay a beautiful set of tracks. And so if you can think of a pride of 17 lions to a tracker, uh, would be like a perfect 10-foot glassy barrel to a surfer and you know that it's coming and you know that the next morning there's going to be really amazing tracks and so I woke up early uh, and I decided to get some tracking in before the day of preparing to go out into the bush uh, I drove straight out to where they had been the night before I picked up their tracks I started following uh, they walked directly east initially and then they cut through a beautiful open clearing and and then turned and started heading west again and at that point, I ran into two rangers, James Turrell and Pete Thorpe, who were out on the land. Um, and we decided that we would follow together. And we briefly, the, the lions had milled around a bit, so it took us a little while to ascertain uh, which direction they were going in. And then we got onto the tracks, and we could see that it was very, very fresh. You could, in fact, see where they had lain down. They had hunted some wildebeest. And then there was a place where a lion had urinated, and the sand was actually still moist with the urine. And so we knew we were very close and we continued. There was a, a junction between two dusty roads. They cut right onto the junction and then suddenly uh, there was the back end of the pride moving away from us. And the three of us, myself and James and Pete, had come up on them and given them a little fright. And the two males were walk walking at the back and they swung around. And for a moment they were just beautifully lit by this early morning golden light and they stared straight at us. And because we had given them a fright, one of the males bounded towards us, maybe, you know, two full length bounds and uh, gave us a little growl. <laughs> and the three of us just stood very still and he stopped. And then as I saw his energy calm down, we started to back away a little bit. But 
and we were only at that stage we'd probably only walked about two three hundred yards from the vehicle and so it was a big reminder for me going into uh, the next couple of weeks that you cannot for a moment uh, drop your drop your guard you have to maintain a real kind of vigilance at all times because things can happen very quickly and in that example if you got that moment wrong one of us got a fright and ran or backed off too fast uh, you can immediately be in a very dangerous situation and so wildness things in the wild are, are wound pretty tight everything is right on the edge of its of its levels of of entropy um, and so you need to be very very aware that you get those moments right there's not a lot of margin for error is what I'm saying um, the other thing that has happened as the day has gone on from that moment is the heat has radically radically jacked up it's about 40 degrees today and that's that's a heat that is quite common in the summer but we've had a few weeks of cool and I realized that I made the decision to move this event forward with all that's happening in the world and do it in you know what is essentially the back end of our summer and I made that decision during the time where we'd had had a few cool weeks and now it's really jacked up and I realized that if I have six weeks of this ahead of me it's going to add a real dimension the phosphate factor goes up exponentially um, days of prolonged heat add, a, add something to the challenge for sure and I was also thinking about you know that phosphate notion on a very hot day it may well mean be more about surrendering than pushing through and so all of this is going through my mind as I get closer to the departure date everything is tightening into sharper focus I'm starting to gather books that I want to take out with me a few on the list so far are A Call of the Wild, The Call of the Wild, a classic. Um, a book called The Ivory Trail by T.V. Bullpen, which is the story of a notorious white smuggler named Vakenya, who lived in the northern Kruger National Park as a smuggler. Uh, and he lived with a bevy of beautiful Shanghaian wives. And I'm sure there'll be more on him later. I'm excited to, to learn more about his story. Living in isolation in nature, I feel like there'll be interesting parallels. West with the Night by Beryl Markham. The Overstory, Richard Powers, which I've heard develops into a story about a man living in a tree, so that feels like quite a nice connection. And finally, a book about St. Francis and his mystical wife, Claire, by Richard Raw. There are a few others that I'm still trying to get a hold on of, and I'll update you on them once I find them. A few of the things that I find myself thinking about <laughs> that I maybe don't usually think about. Well, I captured a couple of the thoughts here. One of them was, how long can I keep a cabbage for in an unrefrigerated African heat? Another one that I'm thinking a lot about is, will baboons swing on the mozzie net that I have and decimate my camp? I know that there's a troop of baboons that lives uh, up and down the banks of that river where the campsite is and they could prove to be a very big problem. I keep wondering what Jesus' daily routine looked like during his 40 days in the desert. I'm asking myself, is there stuff that I need that I haven't thought of? And then I'm asking myself, is there stuff that I have thought of that I don't need? And so there's a, a lot of weighing up going on there. I'm certainly aware of a kind of affliction that comes with too much stuff and it's as if the desire to have all the necessary gear um, is part of a mental construct 
that is embedded with a really deep momentum into our consumeristic culture. I keep thinking about things I might need knowing full well that the Shangan hunter-gatherers who lived nomadically for hundreds of years in these areas um, had really minimal things with them. They lived incredibly simply. And in fact, my mind goes uh, to the legendary Winnes Matabula. And Winnes was a superb, superb hunter-gatherer from the Shangan tribe who was actually the man who taught my father most of his bushcraft. Winnes could track a lion, rob a beehive, he could catch a porcupine that was raiding his millie field. And his life was like a monument to simplicity, but also to a kind of ingenuity. And before my family became conservationists, they were hunters. And Winnes was the tracker who would take my father hunting on a most regular basis. And on one occasion, they had gone out together, and it turned out that they ended up sleeping out in the bush. And so Winnes quickly cobbled together a small campfire campsite for them and they made a fire and sometime during the evening my father picked up a log and he dropped dropped one of these large logs that they had gathered into the center of the fire and this brought up uh, a look of absolute disgust on Winnes's face and he turned to him and he said he said to him you know you must never put a whole log in the fire like that it's too much out here the way we do it is we just put the very tip of the log into the fire and we keep the flame small, and we use only the firewood we need. And I thought that there was something very beautiful inside of that idea towards minimal usage. And it was an idea that was deeply embedded into the hunter-gatherers. There was nothing flashy. They didn't need a big fire to sit around. They only needed a little light and a little warmth to cook their food on. When I think of Winnes now, I think that his life would have been something that the biohackers would hold up as a kind of monument today. Uh, he lived in ways that people are once again kind of discovering. He lived regularly on one meal a day, plenty of hours walking, no sugar, no refined carbs, a daily, a life full of daily adventure, a close family unit. He was just an incredibly resilient person. In fact, he was once gored by a buffalo in the river and treated himself. He got a horn through the ribs. And he treated himself and was able to recover from that. And then on another, another occasion, he was bitten by a black mamba. And the snake actually bit him on the belt of his trousers and released all of its venom, venom and then bit him on the leg. Uh, and he sat around waiting to die, but it turned out that the bite on the leg was actually a dry bite. And so he survived. In my own experience, guiding people uh, into nature... So often what I've seen on expeditions and camping trips is just so much gadgetry and gear that fucking stuff ends up in the way of the experience. And I think my operating principle and motto on that is we need so much less than we think we need, period. Having said that, I did grow up in the safari business and so I grew up in fly camps all over Africa and as a fourth generation member of a safari family, there are some things that you do want. One, you want a quality mattress. You want a really good mattress. You want a mosquito net that doesn't cling to you on hot nights. If you're going to be out there for a number of days, you want a comfortable chair that you can sit a little bit up off the ground. Uh, when it's really hot, you sit on the ground, you bake uh, the heat coming off the earth. And then you want you know, really basic but good, simple food. Anything beyond that is kind of cream. 
so most of this preparation day I found myself gathering and laying things out. I'm starting to put things all out uh, in front of me so that I can cast my eye over everything. You know, and I notice that I forget that I need a spoon and then I remember and then um, it's just this constant process of noticing what I have and noticing what I don't have, remembering that I've remembering what I've forgotten is a good way of saying it. I remember that I've forgotten to do that. I remember that I've forgotten to do this. I remember that I've forgotten to get paraffin. I remember that I've forgotten to fill up a gas canister, little things like that. And the other thing um, that I notice is that it just in this heat of preparing, I've been sweating uh, in the sweltering heat. Um, I've also attained, and this is this came out of thinking about the baboons earlier on, I attained a metal trunk uh, w with a padlock on it that I can actually lock things in. And I think this will be absolutely critical because there's no doubt that when I'm out tracking or on an expedition during the day, the baboons are going to get into the camp. And these are baboons that are, that, you know, have probably been into safari camps before and they're good at breaking and entering. And so I think to have at least the food well stashed is going to be absolutely critical. Everything else I can manage, you know, if they if they crap all over the bed and break the mozzie net down, I can fix that. But if they get into my food, that's going to be quite a serious problem. The other thing that has been coming to me today um, very strongly as I prepare is that all over the world, people are in lockdown due to this virus. And in fact, the safari lodges essentially on a radically reduced operating staff at the moment as a result of the virus. And so uh, whilst we're open, there's really very few people on site and there's certainly no guests. And so the reserve is quiet. It's probably as quiet as it was when my great-grandfather first came here in 1926. There are no tourists, there are no planes, uh, but the other thing that weighs heavily on me and my family and those of us who live out here is there are also no jobs. There's no work right now. The other day, the 200 staff that rely on the safari business to provide for their families have all gone home. And at this stage, the safari business is still able to support them, but and we have a little bit of runway where we can continue to do that but we will need we will need you know for when this passes we will need people to come and visit us and I'm aware that these people are supporting their families in the villages around the reserve I'm aware that they're a part of uh, my community here in South Africa and in some ways I'm realizing that there is a part of me that hopes that this little broadcast in this journey may speak to people and spark the desire for them to come to Africa when it's all over. And not that I'm, you know, overtly trying to market anything, just that um, I'm aware that sharing this journey, um, it may spark something in someone. And, and that's actually just a simple hope of mine. And I just wanted to be upfront about that. So going out and doing this and sharing the story is something that I can do right now. Uh, I'll also be patrolling the land daily. Uh, which is important without the safari trucks out. I can act as a presence on the land. I can check for tracks. Um, I can essentially operate as an anti-poaching unit of one. 
And I will say quite honestly that my motivations when I began were very much centered around myself. This was a, something that I wanted to do. This was a retreat that I wanted to go on. But with the timing and with what's going on, I now feel something maybe more important taking root. The chance that in some way uh, that I maybe as of yet don't understand may find that this experience can be about us as much as it is about me. And with, with stories, I've sometimes heard that the storyteller is responsible for 50% of the story. So you share it as best you can, and then you let the listener do the other 50% with the way that it lands on them, what it brings to life inside of them, what it sparks inside of them. And so I'll do my 50% and, and then offer you to do you know, what you will with your half. So with that, I will leave you with the simple question of, um, and it's the question that I'm going to continue to sit with throughout this 40 days and hopefully emerge from this experience with a stronger sense of, a stronger sense of the answer to this question. How are you being asked to serve and how can you start now? Wherever you are, how could you start right now? And so those are just some thoughts on the preparation day. And I wish you all the best. I have about two or three days left before I head on out. And I look forward to sharing this with you. Thank you. Of a massive storm. Uh, blades of lightning are cutting the air. The thunder is starting to... Uh, roar and roll. Uh, the storm is still a little way away, but it's coming in pretty intensely. The wind is now whipping the branches. And uh, i got to tell you, I'm thinking about uh, being in one of these in a couple of days with no roof and only really a tarpaulin for shelter. So we're going to be into the realms of thinking of a couple of contingencies there. It's also the sort of thing where the wind is howling, the, the tarpaulin blows away. So, yeah, nice to have these things on your mind before an expedition.